welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us this week, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, welcome back to, I think it's episode 95, which is just mind-blowing and can't believe we're five weeks away from 100, which I never thought we'd get there. But through all life's ups and downs, we're still here and we've had a super exciting life update. Um, You probably noticed last week was just myself and this week it's myself Valine. Um, Catherine and Jimmy welcomed um, a little baby girl uh, about four weeks early but Harper Clara Lots Beach was born and so I'm in Idaho right now and I'm really itching to get back to Colorado to squish some chubby cheeks and give some some love but that's some exciting life updates. So for a few weeks Catherine's going to be on maternity leave um, and then she'll join us back. So Please bear with me as I work through this by myself, but um, welcome any feedback or comments or any guests or co-hosts that want to join me as well. But this week, I'm really excited to have somebody near and dear to me join me. Um, We're going to just, I realized I've talked about beef, we've talked about dairy, and we've hit on a few crops, but one big crop that I haven't is something my boyfriend farms quite often, and that's grain. And so this week I have uh, John Cahorn with me this week to kind of dive into some of the grain harvest now that it's officially done and rolling into the next thing. So before I jump too far in, I'll let him introduce himself a little bit, kind of tell tell listeners what he's been up to. And um, thanks for joining me. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is congratulations, Catherine and Jimmy. Um, that's awesome. For what I do, I'm a farmer out here in uh, the Jerome area, actually north of Eden. Not many people know where that is because it's kind of on the edge of <laughs> a huge desert that, that uh, not a, nobody lives on. A lot of public land in the area. Um, we run about 150 mother cows, and then we have... 430 acres of irrigated cropland that we grow some grain on, alfalfa, corn, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know, that's my ag background at least. That's fair, and you went to Utah State and got your agribusiness degree and came back and started working for your dad, right? Yeah. And then this year you were able to... um, Get your own piece of land or rent your own piece of land and start start into barley right yeah yeah so this is actually my first year raising 75 acres worth of malt barley but this year i sold it for feed to a schooler so could so. you with the malt barley so you planted malt barley so you you contracted it with schooler right um but you could have contracted it with Coors too because it was the variety. Is that how that works? Yeah, so the M69 variety is actually what's used by Coors as well as Schooler. There's a few other varieties that are used by both. And uh, then Schooler actually goes further and, and raises a few beyond that as well for feed. Um, this year, it seemed like the Winter barley actually did better than the spring barley, which with not a lot of experience, I'm not sure if that's a year-to-year thing, if it's usually a higher yield for the winter barley or the spring barley, but um, 
think we were seeing about 20 bushels to the acre better on the winter barley versus the spring barley that was going to schooler. Why do you think that was? Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually not sure, and that's something that I'd like to, in the future, figure out. You know, is winter barley something that's going to year to year yield more, and would that be a better option, especially where there's possibly the option of grazing it in the fall with the cattle and then uh, having it come back up in the spring and, and uh, harvest it that way? You're going to get a better yield. Why not, right? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, yield pays. (laughs) So I guess when, for listeners that don't know a lot about barley in general, what's kind of the typical growing year? Because you, for me, it always surprises me how quick barley harvest starts or even barley and wheat harvest in general. um, Because I'm always like, oh, it's not going to be until the end of August, September. But that's kind of when corn is or potatoes starts happening um but it seems like the growing season's a little shorter we were uh actually this year with all the heat there were a lot of heat units this year and um we're probably 10 days early on the start of barley harvest versus last year and the years before that i can remember at least um there was actually a lot of talk of within the farmers of the area that it was about 10 days early. Um, People shutting down water early just because we were getting to that soft dough stage faster. And What do you mean by soft dough? So reading the University of Idaho, the extensions actually out here in Kimberly, and they do research on the barley out here, and they explain the soft dough as... um, well, it's it's actually a hard thing to, to tell. And <laughs> each farmer probably has a different idea of where that's at. But um, when you're to smush a, a barley kernel as it's finishing, you'll get like a white uh, doughy consistency in the middle of it. Kind of like if you were kneading bread or something. Yeah. Yep. So before that, you'll have a lot of moisture in the head as it's filling and it'll be more milky. And then as it switches from that milky to a more dough and is still soft, that's about when you want to stop your water and let it finish out the rest of the way. Uh, the recommendation from University of Idaho is to have two inches of usable water within the root zone. So that's when I aimed to shoot up, to shut off my water and it seemed to work pretty well. I think that I filled, um, at least we took one screening and it was below 25% uh, thins, which that means that you did a decent job of getting your barley good and plump. What Coors looks for is on most years, they would look for like a 25% thin or lower. And on good years, you'll end up sometimes below seven, you know, um, some of the tough years where you end up with down barley or there's heat like this year, the thins tend to go a little bit higher and uh, you'll see that thin count kind of go up. And is the thin created, I guess, because it started to dry out before it could fill out or 
you cut water too soon or too many heat units or what usually causes there's actually a lot of factors that could come into that um there was a neighbor that i talked to that said that what their diagnosis of why they had a lot of thins and then not a whole lot of of barley in general in the field was that they thought that their field was actually frozen early which will stunt the the growth and um you, it's hard to tell as it's growing if that's going to happen. So they came to the end of the season, went out to harvest, and there just wasn't a whole lot out in the field of barley. So they ended up with a lot of straw, but not a whole lot of barley. They think it was from freezing. Um, there's also, if you didn't have enough water for your barley to finish out in the later stages, and you can end up with fins that way. The heat, like you said, if you have an uneven field where parts of the field have soil that'll hold water better than other parts and you're only testing certain parts, then you could end up with part of the field having fins, the rest of it being good. Um, so you really have to kind of have a, a that's where the being a, a farmer is, <laughs> you can really push to um, push your quality. Like if you're testing every part of the field with a probe and you can figure out where the water's at and where it's not, then you can make adjustments as you go. If you're not keeping a tight noose on it, then you may end up with issues like that. Um, some things are hard to prevent. Some, some things you can, you can kind of turn the dial on. Um, and it probably just, yeah. like you said, depends on the year, depends on conditions, how much are you monitoring it. Where's your soil at? Where's your soil at? Your soil nutrients. texture, nutrients, a whole bunch of variables that you think you just plant a seed and turn some water on, and it ends up being a little more complicated right. than, yeah. <laughs> than no, that. Um, and I, there's a whole, I mean, you can study soil and crop science. You can study, like, there's people that are studying just the germination of barley, Right. Like you were saying, and so the science behind it and the evolution of some of the genetic, you know, breedings and stuff of different ones and is just absolutely amazing. Did you, did you, I know I've, I've heard in the area um, about a lot of drought going on, um, but did you guys experience any of either lack of water or some of the drought conditions on your guys' operation? So one of the great things about our area and the great things about barley in general is that a barley doesn't take a whole lot of water. It's a shorter season uh, than most of the crops that are grown in this area. Um, some people try land farm barley. Um, and then B, with the irrigation that we have around here, there is actually really good water rights. So, we have just recently seen a cutback in the amount of water that we'll be able to irrigate. But up until now, we've been running 100% of how much water we have for our land, um, which is very lucky, lucky especially uh, hearing from some of our neighbors to the north and south that had very limited water. Um, it's, it's great to be in an area that we can most of the time rely on having irrigation to 
give us a consistent crop and uh, on the year that kind of goes into the planning for next year we're seeing low storage on some of the reservoirs in the area which is playing into the decisions we're making for next next year's planting uh, a lot of people are talking about not planting corn corn is one of those crops that you need a lot of water all through the season to get it to finish right um, and you can't like barley you're done by yeah july but like corn if you were to get cut off or even cut back to 50 or 60 percent seems like that would that yield would take a huge beating and you might not if you're sending it to high moisture or you're um pulling the cobs out rather than putting it to um silage you might not be able to (laughs) even get a yield yeah i mean we're we're juggling water a little bit now that we have had a cutback going to 80 percent uh juggling water a little bit just to make sure that our corn is going to finish this year even um we want to be able to push water you know, out into September and be able to make sure that finishes so that we can harvest well in October, uh, especially where we're doing high, high moisture corn. Um, <laughs> Moisture's important. Moisture's important. <laughs> and the cob is really important. So mm-hmm. that cob, just like with barley, the grain finishes last. And that's what we're, we're wanting out of the high moisture is the, the grain that comes off the cob. Whereas if we were to be harvesting it or chopping it, which a lot of the dairymen around here do, we we could not rely so much on that cob and the rest of the matter of the stock and whatnot could be fed. Um, so it's uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that we're going to still be able to get a good harvest off our grain from the corn, but if we were in a year with less water, then those types of things start to get a little bit there. That could be a big factor. you know. Yeah. Well, and can you like for your water rights and I, yours are probably different than your dad's just because they're, they're a different water, right? They probably act the same, but they're just different. But since you, you're not watering your barley now, can you move that water somewhere else or does it have to still come through that same diversion point right so we're milner gooding water and all of our land is there on the same canal luckily we can move that water up and down the canal to the different plots that we have um and you know we pay for the water at the start of the year and then we use it at the amount of inches that we can take at a time throughout the year. So as the barley finished, we have our, especially my dad's plot, it's a 10 tower pivot that's split into two different plots. Half of it was barley and half of it's corn. So now that our barley is done and shut off, we can focus the water to the corn, which helps a lot. Um, If we were putting one pivot on that whole plot, then uh, stretching that water would be a little bit tougher as far as your schedule goes. Um, That's one thing that we're thankful for this year, you know, seeing that we'd have more water for that corn. Yeah, no, and it's, I mean, 
to be grateful that you're at 80% not shut off like a couple areas. I know it's still a challenge, but just being grateful that we have have water right now and these few rainstorms have been nice. Um, so now that you've harvested the barley, um, it's either in storage bins or you've taken it to who you sold it to, what's next for that? those pieces of ground or have you decided or what what's the decision factor right so like i was saying you, you kind of look water is going to be one of our big factors for this upcoming year we will meet a large winter or a lot of snow to fall in the jackson area jackson wyoming area to uh really push the palisade reservoir up into good storage as well as the rest of the water that comes through this area. Uh, there's multiple other reservoirs that feed this area and the water ice that we have tend to, well, they are allocated through the Palisade Reservoir. So I'm also a skier, so it's kind of cool to see uh, if Jackson Wyoming is getting a lot of snow, it's, it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to get to ski pow and then we're also going to have good water for next season. So you know, everybody pray for snow for us this year if you can and, and uh, for whichever reason you want. <laughs> um, as we're planning though for that crop for next year, corn, if we have good water coming, is a possibility. Um, it's one of the, we're seeing some of the best corn prices that I've ever seen right now, which, so it'd be nice be able to grow corn again. Um, but could the price of corn being so high be because of lack of water, or is it there's just more competition for land right now? Well, I, I'm no expert on economics. <laughs> like, <laughs> you bring coal back on for all that. <laughs> you know? But if I were to make an assumption, you know, I'm sure that the uh, drought is playing into all of the commodities being, you know, at good prices right now, corn especially. Uh, as I talk to the barley, the guy that I sell barley to, he says that he prices his barley kind of based on how the corn market's moving. And uh, so, yeah, the what the decision's coming down to this year and kind of what we've really been throwing around is the possibility of putting in a crop called triticale which is another grain. We have the cattle and triticale will come up well in the fall. So they'll have good fall feed and then it'll survive through the winter, come back and grow in the, in the spring. And some of those triticale fields will grow to be like five to six foot tall. And then you could take them as, you could chop them early and then plant corn after them, which would be great if there is a lot of water. And then if there's not a lot of water, then you can keep the triticale growing to be uh, just a feeder hay, take it and then put it into just ton bales, sell it to a local dairyman. So either way, it's gonna turn out to be a good crop. Um, always having two crops is, a good season yes and then um 
even if we were to grow it up and then put it in a bale, we'd still have time afterwards to also reseed oats and grow that up again for more feed, which is going to, it's going to do well for our cattle as well as selling the overage to a neighbor. Um, this year I'm looking at hay prices and knowing that I'm buying feed for the winter for my cows and not having it grown myself. I'll be shelling out some money for that. Whereas if I were to have that triticale this year, I'd have been able to just hold it back and, and uh, keep some lower cost feed for my own cow. And that's kind of the strategy going into next year. So Kind of a cons- a possibility to make good money, but also a conservative route to make sure that your cows are taken care of and that you're um, able to to keep it. Can it be, so next spring, can it be a game time decision of whether you send it to silage and plant corn or hold on to it? Or do you have to make those contracts on trit ahead of time? And I love saying trit, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can actually be a game time decision. A lot of those dairymen in the area will be flexible with you and they're ready to take feed right now. Um, there's the reason that prices are high for feed right now is there's, it's a little bit short. Um, so there's a battle out there right now of buying, buying feeder hay, buying any type of hay, buying the barley for feed for dairies. Um, versus malters versus you know mm-hmm. everybody's wanting to get that feed bought so going into next year with the triticale if we're to take it early the dairy will take it if we're to take it late the dairy will take it uh, same with the corn so yeah no I, it can be a game time decision for sure for us nice that's that's kind of nice because didn't you have to contract the barley mm-hmm. Or maybe you didn't have to, but you decided to contract the barley pretty much when when you planted it. Right. So leading up to each, there's a lot of companies around here that as you're leading up to when you want to plant or when you want to harvest, you could call in to the local elevator or the local feeder and, and you know, just make a negotiation with them. But a lot of the... Elevators will have a price that they're buying at that time, even if you were buying in the future. And you could set your price for when you deliver then, or you could wait until you deliver. And then if they'll take it, then they will. And if they're full, then you'll have to go somewhere else. So uh, year to year, you can kind of take a strategy towards, am I going to sell it on contract right now? so that I know that I can get it delivered at that time, at that price, or am I going to wait and play the market, think that the price is going to go up, sell it at the time that you harvest it, and haul it in. Um, there's also your option to store, of course, if you have the storage. If you got storage bins, you can put it in the bin and then watch the market and sell it when you want. Or you could have it contracted and, for example, Coors will pay a little bit extra for you to store it for them until they're ready to bring it into their elevator and take it out to Colorado and brew it. So um, the key, I think, is just to know, you know, who your local buyer is and how they like to do it and what's your strategy going to be coming up on the year and have a good plan and 
I think the biggest thing is <laughs> uh, having somebody to help advise you along the way. Because for me, I talk to all my neighbors. <laughs> I've been talking to all my neighbors lately. You know, this, how does Triticale do for you? What price did you get this year? How many tons? This, that, and the other. And trying to figure out just what's the, the best option for next year. And I think that's key is especially as a young producer or a millennial, <laughs> uh, take advantage of any resources that you have. Um, I luckily have my dad. I have your parents to talk to. I have all the neighbors that I grew up with. Don't let any of that go to waste. Obviously the, the successful people know what they're doing and go, go talk to them, be humble about it. Be nice, be kind, you know, mm-hmm. have a good conversation with them and, and ask them some questions. And I'm sure they'll be happy to help you. I think that's that's huge. And that's something I'll con- try to continue to do in the future. But I think that's great advice because I think as, as millennials, too, we, we often forget or we get intimidated or, or end up in our, like, I get stuck in my own world. And, it, you know, knowing knowing that it's okay to ask for questions or we don't, you know, and sometimes it's, this is just me, but I, I feel like I have to prove myself. I have to like sell myself and show that I'm knowledgeable. For me, it's on a project or, or my skills, but it's sometimes okay to say, I don't know, or what would you do? Cause for you, Trit is, yeah. is relatively a new crop. Like you guys do a lot of barley and, and corn, um, but Triticale's relatively new. So it's, you know, figuring out what, what the climate, the soil, what that kind of thing, what they can hold and, and is, and can the market bear, bear it? Yeah. Um, and the, the season and I mean, triticale could be put in, in the fall too. Dad's done that before. He hasn't done the spring approach to it or the, well, it could be put in, in the spring as well. I'm getting that mixed up. So it could be put in after corn. As well, which dad has done. Um, putting it in here in the fall is something that we haven't done yet. So it'll be kind of an interesting adventure. And seeing the neighbors do it, you always want to kind of have a plan before you go. So it's important <laughs> to get out. Like dad still even does that. He'll get out and talk to the local neighbors and, and ask them, you know, how'd this go? What's the keys? And and figure out the best way to go about it. Um, to your point, I think that just keeping that humility about you and, you know, not always just trying to prove yourself is a huge thing, especially for people our age. Um, it's, it's hard to not want to just act like, you know, what you're doing and then, and then go about it. And, uh, to humble yourself and, and ask questions because the older generation is always going to see things like that. You know, um, they're going to know when you're <laughs> BSing a little bit and whatnot. It's better, I think, to just keep yourself at center and, and ask questions you need answers to. <laughs> and yeah. I'll appreciate it. Mm-hmm. No, and it's amazing. Like some of the best conversations I've had is I, you just sit down and you ask, you know, and maybe like my grandfather, for example, some of the best conversations I've had in the last week, but it's like the basic questions of what was it like running a combine for you 
50 years ago, you know, and like the stories just come flooding out of those guys and, yeah. and the knowledge you can have. And it's the same thing with neighbors or your mentors or reaching out like you to the extension. There's like more resources than I think we ever know sometimes. And it's just knowing who. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And anybody that's done it for 20, 30, 40 years is the right people to ask. That's, yeah. they'll give you the best answers, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm grateful to have that type of resource. Yeah, no, Annal, and I think that's probably a great place to end it and on a positive note. Um, you have any parting thoughts before we sign off? I'd just like to say that I think Val does a great job with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Catherine as well. It's it's really cool to listen to it and then all of a sudden end up on the other side. <laughs> and, uh, I was telling mom and dad before I left that I was going to be on the same podcast as the governor, and I thought that was pretty dang cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the point to that is you just have to ask because sometimes <laughs> they say yes. So right. yeah. <laughs> to you and to the governor, because both of them, I'm like, they're going to tell me no. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, I, thank you again for coming on and um, joining me this week. Um, listeners, thank you for joining us as well. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also email us with any questions, thoughts, feedback at talktous at millennialag.com. Till next week, we are Millennial Ag.